What up fam, I'm Elena, a certified nutrition coach, personal trainer, and hormone specialist. I'm a former public educator turned holistic fitness coach, and I'm on a mission to disrupt diet culture and educate individuals on how they can heal their gut issues, hormone imbalance, and food relationships caused by chronic dieting, inflammation, and autoimmune or chronic illness. My philosophy for coaching is simple. Eat more, move better, feel amazing, because life is too short to feel like shit. So let's dive in. Hello, hello everybody, and welcome to another episode of What the Funk, where we are tackling health hormones and healing without losing your damn mind. Um, I do apologize if my voice goes in and out just a little bit today. Um, I have been just a smidge under the weather this last week, but I still wanted to do my best to stay on schedule. So I have been well hydrated so far today. I have a hot drink with me and I'm just ready to get this, get this show on the road because these are some interesting topics that I have coming up for you here in the next, next few episodes. Today's episode specifically, we're going to be talking about food aversions. Now, a small personal anecdote surrounding this. Um, I didn't realize that you could have like food aversions or food icks uh, outside of pregnancy really until I got diagnosed with ADHD and I started to learn more about the sensory issues that sometimes uh, can accompany ADHD and uh, realized that there are a lot of food icks that I have that have driven sometimes my ability to eat certain things. And where that gets really frustrating is in anybody with any kind of neurodivergency, and this can happen, I, f I feel like I see this more with ADHD than I do with people struggling with executive function due to like depression or anxiety. And this is just an observation, professional, a professional observation that's not data or statistics or a study, it's just my anecdotal observations, is people with ADHD tend to have more of these food sensory issues um, that can sometimes be very similar to what people experience during pregnancy. Um, and realizing as because I am a pre and postpartum certified coach, so I do work with women who are pregnant or who have just given birth, um, or even clients that have children that they've given birth already, but they still feel that core weakness um, since giving birth and never quite recovered it, uh, that food icks and food aversions are really frustrating because we want to do the things that we know are good for our bodies, but something in our brain will literally not let us eat those foods or make those choices in a way that we know we should be able to. It's not hard theoretically for us to make these choices, pick this food, make this meal, pick a protein, go ahead and eat it. Um, it's much more difficult and much more frustrating than I think people realize. And it's really, truly a thing. Um, and what ends up happening is sometimes there will be certain foods where like you can eat this food pretty consistently and really enjoy it. And then all of a sudden one day it, you try to eat it and it just tastes wrong. <laughs> um, it doesn't, the texture isn't right. The flavor isn't right. Or if it gets cooked or made in a certain way, one time, it kind of like ruins it for us. And now we can no longer eat that food. Um, and may we be able to eat that food again at some point? Possibly. Um, but then there are also foods that are considered like safe foods that we can more or less eat all the time. And they're very sort of middle of the road. They don't cause a lot of like dopamine rush in our brains. Um, but they also 
like they're so consistent that it's very hard to create an ick for them. One of those, one of my safety foods, and you guys are going to laugh at me, but my, one of my safety foods is gluten-free chicken nuggets. Um, because I make them the same way every single time. They're very consistent. I know I can eat them. I know how they fit into my day. And for me on a day where my thing is I take a very long time to eat sometimes. And so eating a big meal of like a protein with like a ton of vegetables is very difficult for me to get through from a sensory perspective. Sometimes just going for like some gluten-free chicken nuggets and then having like a bowl of fruit on the side is the best I can do that day. And I just have to let that be okay. I do the best that I can and I make the best choices for myself that I can, but I also try not to beat myself up over these like weird food versions that I have, because let's face it, like they, we don't need to be ashamed of them, but they are weird sometimes and it didn't always make sense. So what are some strategies to sort of navigate around food icks, whether you have a sensory food aversion or a food aversion due to pregnancy, um, keep a list of what are the foods that you know you like to rotate through so that when you do feel stuck, you don't have to rely necessarily on your working memory to bring in like new foods or come up with a new idea. This can be as simple as keeping a note on your phone um, of things that you know you enjoy. Um, I was talking to a client the other day and she's like, I forget that I can make things simple. Like, I feel like sometimes I overcomplicate the food thing. And I was like, well, let's start keeping a rotating list of foods and meals and pairings that you know you really liked. And so we're going to start a list for her. So she has sort of a reference to go back to because sometimes relying on that working memory, um, you know, for, for anybody, any individual, you don't have to have ADHD, but it's the end of a long day. You're tired, you're physically tired, you're mentally drained, trying to pull an idea out of your brain for what to cook won't work. Now, a lot of this can be solved for meal prepping if you've already meal prepped, but if for some reason you cannot eat your meal prepped food, which can happen to people, I've seen it happen where they're like, I just couldn't eat it. And if you have a negative relationship with food or a disordered food eating past, sometimes the, well, I'm going to eat it whether I like it or not because I made it and I don't want to waste it. That's not always an option for people. Um, and so sometimes it's a matter of we need to just have a little bit of grit and just like eat whatever we prepped. But sometimes there really is a mental barrier there and we have to recognize that that's a legitimate thing that happens. Um, it does make things more difficult when you're trying to reach certain goals because the, the more consistency that you have in behaviors when it comes to your nutrition to your movement, the easier it will be to reach said goals. But that doesn't mean that you can't work around sort of these like little like brain blocks that we have with things. So what I like to do is say in ways to make meal prep. Uh, so you have your list, you make your list, you keep your list of foods that you know you can rotate in and out. The other thing that I like to tell people to do is rather than meal prep and just reheating in the microwave, right? Reheat things on the stove or meal prep in smaller batches. So that way you can switch things up more consistently. Um, a lot of times people will meal prep for, you know, they'll make the same meal for four or five days in a row and they can eat it for three days, but come day four, day five, it makes them want to vomit. And I'm just like, why are you prepping so much than in one sitting? You can make smaller batches. You can even reheat and freeze things, right? Creating things like freezer meals, um, reheating things and re uh, saving things in portions in the freezer. That's always an option too. So if you have a meal that you cooked and you're like, I don't want to throw this away, but I don't really want to eat it right now, put it in the freezer, freeze it as its own portion. And then you have sort of an SOS meal on hand for when it is time to 
eat something and you don't have anything prepped or you end up in a situation where your week got really busy and you did not prioritize the time to um, meal prep and have something on hand. So reheating on the stove is really, really great. It keeps things a little bit fresher. It keeps things from having that like microwave reheated taste and meal prepping in smaller batches. Like let yourself meal prep in smaller batches and make things as easy as possible. Use a crock pot if you need to use pre-cooked protein options or grain options, right? If you need to do microwave rice, do microwave rice. Like I hate cooking rice. Honestly, for me, I'm more likely to eat a microwave rice as much as I don't want like the endocrine disruptors in my food. At the end of the day, it comes down to which is the bigger battle that I need to fight here. Is it that I need to avoid these endocrine disruptors or is that I need to keep my body fueled to keep myself healthy, right? So there's always like a balance of things to weigh. Um, and instead of doing meals, like making a big recipe of a meal that has a certain flavor profile, do more of a plain meal prep that allows you to mix up toppings and flavors. Um, so for example, some frequent flyers in my house is rice, like various things, you know, various types of rice. We do a lot of venison and elk. Um, the thing uh, that I really enjoy is I love either ground venison and elk or doing a roast in the crock pot and making a bunch of shredded meat. And then I really love like green beans. Um, so I'll make rice, venison, and green beans, really the only seasoning I'll put on it is maybe some olive oil, maybe some happy salt. Um, happy salt is this like, <clears throat> happy salt is the seasoning that we get from the Amish country up in Wisconsin. And we like stock up on it every summer. Um, it's so good or just regular salt and pepper. And that's, that's it. It's just very plain, very simple. Um, but then I can make different things. So like I might put these things together and do it like fajita style with adding some cilantro avocado dressing, maybe adding in some avocado, add topping it with some salsa. Um, I might do teriyaki style with some gluten-free teriyaki sauce, right? So I'm taking these plain options and then I'm keeping on hand different sauces, different dressings, different things to make it interesting. And so it feels like even though I've prepped rice and venison and green beans, I'm making two or three or four different types of meals out of it as the week goes on so that I'm keeping myself like mentally engaged and I'm like enjoying not having to eat the same exact thing every single day, but I'm still eating the same thing every single day. I'm just changing up the flavor profiles. <clears throat> or you can even do like some barbecue sauce and stuff on there. And sometimes like we'll make like gluten-free cornbread. You're going to hear me mention gluten-free because for me, um, I do eat mainly gluten-free due to my Hashimoto's and maintaining a gluten-free diet is how I maintain my thyroid health and just my overall health and keep my chronic illness like managed or my autoimmune disease managed. Um, so for me, that's really, that, that makes sense for me to do. So maybe you try this. Let me prep something plain, a plain protein, a plain grain option, and then like a plain vegetable, right? And you're just going to prep those boring plain, keep some salt and pepper on them. Don't do anything too crazy. And then, um, mix it up with how, what kind of sauces and flavors and stuff you put on it. The other thing that it's important to note, especially if you are struggling with ADHD is recognizing when you start to use food as a coping mechanism, right? Food is a huge source of dopamine for individuals with ADHD. It's part of why individuals with ADHD can sometimes be more prone to dealing with like, um, uh, disordered eating or like binge eating is 
is we have to be aware of when this food is coming together as a coping mechanism. Now, there's some things that I can help with with people on this side of things, but really what it means is if you have ADHD and you're hiring a coach to help you with your food issues, you also have to be willing to try different things and to not write off strategies that maybe you've tried before. You also have to be knowing that you might need to be seeking support and therapy and medication or other therapies, right? The most recent thing that I've been trying that I've really enjoyed is psilocybin and microdosing with psilocybin. So like my, I'm not on medication, but I utilize CBD. I utilize psilocybin. I utilize NSDR, which is non-sleep depressed. I keep certain routines. I don't call them habits because it's habits with somebody with ADHD doesn't really exist, but I maintain certain routines that help me bring some consistency into my life because I know they make other things easier. And it makes, you know, doing all of these things makes my brain a much nicer place to be. But the difference is, is that I've put a lot of time and effort and energy into reading, researching, and seeking out resources to help manage my ADHD. And if you're not willing to do that, then hiring a coach to help you with your food, if you know that your ADHD is a root cause, you're not, you're not going to see the progress that you want to see. And that's just sort of a reality check that a lot of people need to take is, cool, you're getting treated, you're having treatment, you're dealing with these things because I can give you the tools, any coach can give you the tools in the toolbox and the strategy, but you have to have the ability to implement those tools and those strategy. And so you have to make sure that you're also doing your due diligence for your mental health. Anyway, those aside, but when we talk about using food as a coping mechanism with ADHD, a lot of times it's to help increase dopamine. And so the first thing is to be just aware of your food intake, right? Monitor, monitor for your quantity of food intake. Um, not necessarily to manage calories, but just to be aware and observe of like, what are your patterns of behavior in your food intake, right? So you know what you're dealing with. You, a lot of us don't even know what we're eating on a day-to-day -day basis. And people think, you know, tracking food is so disordered. And the reality is that it's not, especially if you're just tracking your food, just to see what your trends are, what your behaviors are, and then start to look at how does my sleep and my stress affect my food intake? And that's when you can start to notice where those, you know, those increases in overconsumption of calories can lead to these like big spikes in like food intake when you're low on sleep, when you've had a really stressful day, that's when we start to turn to food as a coping mechanism. And you have to be aware of what, when that's happening and then be able to have the space to reflect on why that's happening. Right. And that is something that I support my clients who struggle with ADHD and they use food as a coping mechanism. We start to talk about, okay, cool. You overate on these two days. How was your sleep the nights prior to this? And they're like, Oh, well I scrolled on my phone until it was too late. And then I had a really hard time waking up. I'm like, so, so the root of the issue is not that you have a lack of control around food. It's that you didn't allow yourself to get enough sleep. And so now we have to focus on your sleep hygiene and your behaviors around sleep, because that's part of the root cause of your struggles with managing your calorie intake and keeping it at a healthy level. Because at the end of the day, too many calories is too many calories. Like there's no, nothing we can do around that. And if you have metabolic adaptations, too many calories is still too many calories. And then you're going to see potentially on one hit weight gain. Um, that's just, it's, that's science. There's nothing we could do to get around that. But by understanding our behaviors around food and what are sort of the preceding factors to those experiences, it can really help us dive in and see more days where you don't feel so out of control around food. And that first step is just 
awareness. Um, and then also asking yourself, what foods did I eat that gave me energy? What did I reach for out of stress as I'm reflecting back on my food logs, right? Again, just being aware and then observing and then making reflections on it. You're not looking at this as, oh, this was a bad day because I ate too many calories. No, we just need to look and see like what was driving what decisions. It's just information and data for us to analyze and learn, okay, how do we best now support you moving forward? Um, and then the other thing to, to ask yourself, sort of the step two is, okay, cool. You monitored your food intake. You've seen sort of like what behaviors and stress things and lack of sleep may or may not be contributing to your food choices. The second step is to ask yourself, am I doing anything other than reaching for food to keep my brain happy? Do I have any type of stress management plan in place? Do I have any kind of hobbies? Am I allowing myself buffer time to just slow down and exist in the world? Or am I constantly go, 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 right? And so again, looking at the big picture, not just what did I eat in this one day or this one meal, but looking at the big picture of how are you supporting your body from a holistic standpoint, because that will also have a huge impact, right? Same thing for like, you know, even when you're dealing with pregnancy and struggling with food aversions. And a lot of times there's a lot of stress and a lot of heightened emotions that occur during pregnancy due to the hormonal shifts. And a lot of, you know, new moms or soon to be moms, whether they're current, they it's their first kid or that's their third kid. There's a lot of, you know, unrecognized stress associated with pregnancy. There's a lot of decisions to be made. There's a lot of things that go through your head on a daily basis. And so we really have to make sure we're focusing on the stress management side of things so that we can keep your brain happy. So that way you can reach for foods that you know are going to be really nutritious for you, for your body, for your growing child. Um, and that doesn't mean that you can't go eat a cookie. Like I, if you want a cookie, go eat a cookie, but we don't want one cookie to turn into 20 cookies to turn into oh my God, I feel like so, so shitty about myself. Right. So again, it's about taking a step back and looking at this big picture. And then again, I mentioned sleep. Um, now why does sleep keep coming into play here? I'm always talking about sleep and I'm always talking about stress management. It's because they make such a big impact on our hormonal and metabolic health, as well as the subsequent decisions that we make throughout the day, right? Lack of sleep and chronically leads to chronically elevated cortisol, which will have us eating things that we would maybe not usually lean towards, but it can also make us more reactive to food icks because we're in that heightened state of stress. So we're constantly, you know, searching for more dopamine, especially if you're an individual with ADHD, than you might otherwise have. So how is your sleep? And again, it goes back to that. If your sleep sucks, how are you approaching sleep? What are your behaviors around sleep look like? So now what happens when a food you love becomes a food you can't stand? You find a new food. Like there's no major fixes to the way our brains work. There's no way to fix something that's not broken because newsflash, you're not broken if you have a weird relationship with food or if you struggle with food aversions for any reason. But just bringing in more awareness of the choices we're making and understanding why it happens can make it easier to navigate around. That's why like my first step of getting to the bottom of food aversions and reaching for foods as a coping mechanism is to just be aware of what you're eating to begin with. Like that's it. It's not to cut calories. It's not to go on a diet. It's not to go hit the gym three, three more days a week than you already are. It's just to bring awareness in. Awareness and knowledge of the choices that you make on a daily basis 
can really be very eye-opening. And once you understand these behavior patterns from you as an individual and how they can dictate different decisions that you make as your life goes on, as your day goes on, as your week goes on, right? It makes it easier to navigate around. And when I say, oh, you find a new food, that's where that first tip that I made at the beginning is keep a list, keep a note on your phone, keep a running tab of what are the foods and meals and things that you really enjoy? What are the combination of combinations of foods that make you really happy so that when you need to find a new food, because now the food that you used to love gets a foodic, you can find another food or meal or snack on the list that lets you bring something new into the mix. Okay. Now, just to keep an eye out for this, you know, a lot of people, and I can kind of joke about this sometimes. Sometimes people go, you know, how do you read so many books in one year? And I'm like, this is the ADHD. And that's like really kind of funny because I can very much hyperfixate on books and I can read very fast and it's very cool and I enjoy it and it is relaxing for me. And so sometimes there are parts of your ADHD or your neurodivergency that are not a bad thing. They're actually quite cool. Um, our brains work in really unique ways and it allows us to see the world and approach the world and approach situations in a unique way. But a lot of people use the ADHD as an excuse to treat themselves like shit. Okay. But having ADHD and you can insert any other, you know, thing in the midst there, pregnancy, depression, anxiety, none of these things give you an out to treat yourself poorly. In fact, it's even more of a reason to pay attention to what is going on and the choices that you're making for yourself on a daily basis. But it does mean that you might be an individual who has to give a, just a little bit more mental space to these choices and decisions than somebody else might. And is that fair? No. But does it change the situation? Also, no. So you can bitch about it or be about it. <laughs> like at the end of the day, like you can be mad about it. That's what I tell people all the time. I'm like, it's not fair. And it is frustrating. I don't know what else to tell you. Like we have to jump through so many more mental hoops in our brain than somebody who doesn't deal with ADHD. And that's not fair, but it is what it is. And I would rather learn to how, how to jump through those hoops in a way that's effective than sit there and be a victim of my own situation. So again, having ADHD or insert any other situation, any other illness, mental illness, physical state of being, it doesn't give you an out to treat your body like shit. In fact, it's even more of a reason to pay attention to the choices that you're making each day. And that means you have to be willing to commit to giving yourself more mental space to pay attention to those things than somebody else might. And it is what it is. So deal with it. You can complain about it. It's totally fine, but you still have to show up. So now when we talk about pregnancy, um, a lot of this, you know, specifically a lot of the same strategies with ADHD food aversions can work with pregnancy, finding foods that you can eat and eating what you can. Okay. Um, for a lot of my pregnant clients, we will sometimes do smaller meals or more snacks to reduce the discomfort of bloating, reduce nausea, things like that. Um, and then making sure that they're not falling under the eating for two fallacy, because that's not actually accurate. You don't need to eat double the calories. You're not eating for two. You really 
only need an additional three to 500 calories per day during pregnancy, maybe a little bit more even during breastfeeding is a general concept. And again, this is going to depend on where your nutrition is at currently. Again, that first level of awareness of what are you already doing to really make a decision on where you need to go um, to make sure your body is getting the nutrients it needs. Like I had a client and she said, how many more calories a day should I be eating um, or it's actually a former client. She just had her little boy. Um, I worked with her for a year, helped her get pregnant. It was amazing. Um, and she messaged me and she's like, how many more calories sh should I be eating during breastfeeding? And I'm just like, well, do you want the general answer or the answer like specific to you? Because those are two different things. And she said, I guess, what is the general answer first? And I was like, you know, three to 500 calories a day more, but if you're already under eating, and I said that to her because I know her, <laughs> I said, if you're already under eating, you probably need more than that. And she's like, ah, oh, shit. I'm like, yeah. So again, these are general concepts, but they're not like super black and white. So she's like, I probably need more like 700 calories more than what I'm currently eating. And then she talked to me a little bit about what she was currently doing. And I was like, yeah. So, you know, I told her, you know, get a few more snacks in throughout the day if you can. Um, just, you know, set timers to remind you to eat because it can get so busy. And I know you can get like your schedule can get really off because she's a brand new, brand new baby. Um, you know, and, uh, it's just a matter of making those small adjustments to make sure that she's getting what she needs. Um, because she is also trying to breastfeed. Right. And so that's additional requirements that her body needs. She also needs to really stay hydrated, but it's, it's, finding small ways. What are foods that you like? Keep a list of them. Um, being aware of what your food intake is so you're not under eating, which you people think, oh, I'm going to track my food to make sure I'm not overeating. No, I have more clients that under eat than overeat, believe it or not. And making sure that we're tracking food to make sure we're not under eating is actually a huge piece of what helps them see the progress that they're seeing. Because if they didn't track their food, they would chronically under eat. And then that's why they're partially dealing with the issues that they're dealing with. Um, and then for pregnancy specifically, making sure that you're, you know, being aware to a degree. Now, a strategy I like to use with people if they don't want to track their food every single day is cool. Track your food like two to three days a week, just to keep again, awareness, that awareness that I talked about earlier in the episode, that awareness of what you're doing. So you can stay in touch with the choices that you need to make on a day-to-day -day basis. All right. So that is today's episode on navigating food aversions as a general concept in tips and tricks, reality checks, <laughs> Which is kind of like, you know, the last I did a fitness for ADHD and it was tips, tricks, and reality checks. And, and really when it comes down to it is there's not usually like a hack to get through these things. There's only different strategies that we can try and see what works best for you as an individual. But at the end of the day, it still requires awareness, a commitment to doing things that need to be doing. And realizing that we can either be the victim or we can be the victor and we have the, the ability to decide how we want that story to play out. All right, you guys, that is it for today's episode. If you have any other questions or you have any comments or you feel this was helpful for you, ooh, I can talk, please DM me on Instagram at elena.m.fit. My DMs are always open. Or if you have a topic that you would like me to cover here on the podcast, please let me know. And I will catch you guys on the next one. Thanks so much for being here today. 
Thank you so much for tuning into the What the Funk podcast. Be sure to leave a rating and a review and don't forget to take a screenshot. Tag me on Instagram. My handle is at elena.m.fit. I would love to hear what you want to hear on the podcast. I do respond to DMs. I would love to talk with all of you. I'm so excited for you being here today. Thank you so much for the support and I will see you next time. Just a quick disclaimer for the information found in the What the Funk podcast. I am not a licensed medical professional, mental health professional, or registered dietitian. The advice and recommendations given out on this channel and on this podcast are not intended to diagnose or treat any kind of medical condition or mental health condition. If you do think you have a medical condition, please speak with your medical provider. Please consult your medical provider before implementing any kind of supplement regimen or exercise regimen or nutrition regimen into your lifestyle, as well as be aware that listening to this podcast does not constitute a coach-client relationship. Thank you guys so much.